Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell. Happy New Year, and I hope you're doing well. In this episode, I interviewed one of the most experienced Canadian financial planners that I know and who I tend to go to when I have any complex tax and financial planning questions. His name is Ed Rempel, and in this episode, we tackle how to determine how much you need to be financially independent so you can retire if you wish. What are some of the sustainable draw strategies that you can use to not run out of money when you're living off your investments, as well as how to pay less tax here in Canada? We cover all that and much, much more. So thanks so much for tuning in. And please remember to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you enjoy the show. And now let's get into the interview. All right, Ed, welcome back to the show. Great to be here, Cornell. Awesome. So Ed, when someone's trying to determine how much they need to be financially independent and have the option of retiring, what is the process that should be undertaken to figure this out? All right. So the really key point is the first step that everybody should do when they're starting to think get financially independent is to get a financial plan. And basically, it's like if you're going to take a vacation, you're going to take a road trip. The first thing is figure out where are you going and what route are you going to take before you start driving, like start figuring it out, right? It's the same thing here. So first of all, you got to define what financially independent is for you. So what is the lifestyle that you want? Of course, it makes a big difference. If you want to live on, retire on 10,000 a year or 2,000 a year, or you want to retire at 50 or 65, it's obviously very different, right? So we help help our clients figure out very specifically what's the lifestyle that they want, how much money you need to know, how much money do you need a year to live the life that you want, you know, before tax. So that's the first thing you need to know. And then you got to figure out when do you want to get to that point. And you could be a partial retirement if you want to, like a semi if you want, or like you do phases. But basically, you need to have a date where you want to be in that position and a lifestyle that you defined. And then you can look at, okay, what do I have to do to get there? So in total, it's got to be something that's reasonably doable for you, that you can still you know, live now. And yet the goal has to be reasonable. So it's kind of that trade-off. So we have very flexible software. We call it, an in, in it so we have what we call an interactive process. So when we're doing a financial plan with clients, we can actually go through, you know, five, 10, as many calculations as they want, all within a few seconds. So, you know, like they put in what the lifestyle that they want and they want to retire at 55 and you put it in, okay, can't make it. <laughs> all right, now what do we do? Do we put more money in? Do we retire on less? Do we work a bit longer? Let's go back and look at the lifestyle. Maybe we don't need all of it. Or maybe we could try a different strategy. What if we do with the Smith mover on top of this? Like, so we could try a bunch of what if we did this? What if we did that? And let's get it to something that you're happy with. And it's some people go to a fee for service financial planner and they'll sit down once, they'll ask some questions and they leave. And then a few weeks later, they get something mailed to them and it's only one option. And it turns out it doesn't work. So to me, that's just the first step. So now what do you do about it? So we have to go through various options of your life and what you're going to be able to do and come up with something that works for you. We also spend some time educating people because, you know, a really big thing is you need a decent rate of return to be able to make it. You know, I think for the whole financial industry seems to be about this, you know, balanced funds, 60-40 portfolio and, you know, not and trying to have reasonable growth with less risk. And the problem is if you do that, your long-term return is maybe in the 5% range. And, you know, inflation, you should probably use 3% in your assumptions, the high end of where the Bank of Canada is trying to keep it, even though inflation has been about four in the last 70 years. So, but if inflation is three, investments are making five. You're only growing by two. And what you find is basically nobody can retire comfortably that way. So part of the process we spend is educating people about the stock market. Like it's actually more reliable long-term than you realize. A lot up and down short-term, but long-term it's actually, believe it or not, more predictable after inflation than bonds. So with some education, that's often something that people could say is, you know what, what if I just change my asset allocation a bit, invest a bit more for growth? Right. What if I do some leverage? What if I, you know, work a little longer and then let's come up with something that works for you? And so th- that's the whole process that you need. You have a financial plan with this interactive process and just decide on what you want to do. Now, once somebody knows that they have enough, what are the consequences of just going with something like, okay, I'll just use the four percent rule now, or you know, one of these sort of rules of thumb and using that as the basis of your decisions in retirement versus 
you know, meeting with a financial planner every year, having them update the numbers, having them maybe run different scenarios, things of that nature, just so to evaluate the pros and cons of someone sort of being pure mm-hmm. DIY, not using a software that a financial planner would use, just using again like a four percent rule, let's say, you know, versus taking that extra step and actually sitting down with a planner and doing this on an annual basis. Yeah, I mean, there's two main life phases. One is where you're saving up for retirement, which is what I was just talking about. You know, you're talking about after retirement, right? So yep. it's it's where you're living off of. You know, in both cases, like a financial planner can be useful because you're just monitoring, like you revise, you're looking at your goal, your goal may change over time. And then are you on track and what else should you be doing? You know, like we find often there's creative ideas that we have for people of how to make a little improvement, uh, you know, like RSP top up. You do a little extra something every year. But you do it every year, it makes a big difference. And then after retirement, you know, it's you're trying to monitor what you're doing. Now, you know, if you know what you're doing, you could probably do it yourself. But you get a level of confidence by working with a financial planner that's, you know, so you know you've thought of everything and you're maximizing everything. You I find people sometimes get very caught up in saving a little bit of fees, but the fees is actually, believe it or not, a relatively small impact compared to, you know, investing a little bit differently or you know, finding extra money to put in, like the few extra strategies can make that up very quickly. And even in a good investment can actually, a good portfolio manager can easily make up for those, for the cost of the fees without really costing you anything. But yeah, the bottom line is you need to be able to monitor. So if, when you're saving up, you have to know what your goal is and how are you progressing to it? And what else, how do you optimize everything along the way? And then after you're retiring, you've got to monitor your withdrawal rate. How much are you taking out? And at that point, a lot of it is tax strategies, tax planning, right? How do you take it out with less tax? Makes sense. Yeah. So there's still value in... So I guess phase one is, okay, figuring out how much you actually need to retire if you choose to do that with the lifestyle you want. And then once you know you have enough, then now it becomes a challenge of figuring out... It becomes an optimization play, it sounds like at that point, whereas how can we optimize our withdrawals and our taxes so that we actually get the most out of the portfolio that we've developed over the years. Would that be fair to say? Well, the, the optimization happens in both phases. You're always trying, oh, to, right. yeah. trying to make sure you know what path you're on and you're trying to optimize it. And you're always trying to minimize tax and all that. Like the tax is a bigger part of it after you retire. Because at that point, like for a lot of people, like while you're working, you're getting a big salary or something. Well, there's only so much you can do tax-wise. Right. Especially right. if it's like a regular employer Okay, you get your RSP room and then you're pretty then, limited, yes. right? It's, yeah. And then there's some more things, but there's not all that much you can do. When you're retired, basically all your income are things that you choose. So all the choices you make, make all the difference, right? So then it's the tax planning is can make a much more significant difference there. Gotcha. Can you talk about some of the sustainable withdrawal strategies that you recommend mm-hmm. for those looking to live off their portfolio? There's so many of them out there. Can you talk about ones that you favor, that you recommend, or that you actually use with your clients? Yeah. So a big one is actually this 4% rule. I have several articles and videos on my blog specifically about this where I go into it in, in depth. So, And it's a general rule of thumb. And I think for a lot of the investment industry, like some of them are not that sure about it works. And the reason is because they have these conservative balance portfolios, and it doesn't really work with a conservative balance portfolio. But it does work with a growth investor if you're about 70 to 100% in equities. It has worked 97% of the time the last 150 years. And then with some management, it's worked 100% of the time. So the 4% rule is actually, a, it's a good general guide. So when we've got retired clients, we're always monitoring what is the withdrawal rate. So how much of their investments are we selling each year? What percentage of it to provide the lifestyle that they want? And we don't want that to get too high. And, you know, if it gets really low, then we could tell them, like, you know, you can afford to spend more. So we're trying to, you know, keep it in the reasonable range because what you don't want to do is you don't want to be 90 and now you're out of money. And now what, you know? And I think a lot of people have this thought that, oh, when you're 80, you're going to start traveling less and spending less. Well, you know what I find is the people that have money, for the most part, don't. They spend just as much at 80 as they did at 70 or 60. They may travel a bit less, but they do more luxury travel. And you know what I mean? So if you have health and money, you don't slow down your spending. But I think a lot of people do. Why? Because they didn't save enough money and now they're running out. So they have to, right? And then they'll, of course, tell you, well, that's the lifestyle I choose. 
but you know, because I'm getting old, but reality, you should be able to, you know, you want to make sure that you have enough money that the lifestyle you want, you can live it no matter how long you live. So that's, you know, basically how you should be planning. And your withdrawal strategies, like you may have a few large things that aren't every year, like, I don't know, buying a car or taking a big trip or doing a big renovation. There's, there's a few of these big things that may not be part of your year-to-year withdrawal. And you kind of have to include that in the, you know, what's the overall over a period of years, how much are we withdrawing? Gotcha. I remember when you and I talked in the past, you mentioned that in scenarios like we had this past year where the markets were down a fairly significant amount, Mm -hmm. someone is used to withdrawing, let's say 4%. But now because the markets have dropped, their withdrawal rate is actually over 4% if they withdraw that same amount of absolute cash that, or you know, money that you know they're used to withdrawing. And I remember you mentioning something along the lines of that, okay, if it's 5%, like when to start really not worrying, but to really start looking at it and being careful. Like at what point, I remember you mentioned like five, when it's just, now you're withdrawing 5% for the year or 6%. Can you maybe talk about that a little bit in terms of when you approach a client and say, look, I know you want to withdraw the same you withdrew last year, but now because of the market drops, now this is actually 6% of your portfolio. Is this a concern? Can you take us through that thought process? Yeah. So your withdrawal rate, even if you're taking, in general, you want to take the same amount every year and increase it by inflation, right? And that way you're just keeping the same lifestyle. But if you do that, your withdrawal rate's not going to stay the same because one year your investments make 30%, the next year they're down 20, right? So your withdrawal rate is going to fluctuate year to year anyway, just on what's happening with the investments. Yeah. So if you have a down year and you're right, you might now the same amount that was same withdrawal that was 4%, now it's 5%, right? Because your investments are down 25%. Well, so to me is we kind of know that all declines will be made up over a period of years. So we're not that worried about it, but we're again, 5%, it's a bit of a warning, but it's not really a problem. You know, even in history, the bulk of the time, it would have worked with 5% anyway. So if it wanders up to five, that's not really a problem, but you're watching it closely. If it gets up to six, it's kind of a warning bell because, see, the problem is that if, if it starts getting six, seven, eight, withdrawing more, then it starts spiraling up, right? Because you're taking more, which means your investments are declining and it starts spiraling that way. So you don't want to lose control of it because then it keeps going up. So when it gets somewhere close to six is often when we're telling people, okay, you know what? I think you need to cut back or at least for a while, give your investments some time to recover. So if you're taking 4% out and let's say inflation is three, that's seven. If you're an equity investor, your investors investments overall should probably make more than that over time. So anytime you're getting a little high, if you wait a few years, it should probably naturally come down a little bit, right? So you can kind of monitor it that way. But so we're just kind of monitoring how we are. And also part of it is art, not just science. If your withdrawal rate is a little bit high, but it's because this year investments were down, well, we kind of know that's that will make up over time. But if you're at 5% after a big good stock market year, you're still at five. You know what I mean? That's okay. Well, investment recovery alone isn't going to make up for this. So we just watch it closely. And it is a bit of an art because some clients, it's fairly easy for them to cut back and some of them are not. And so we just kind of have to look at each case, you know, and see how it is. It also makes a difference as you get older. Right. So if you're 60 or 70, you've still got 25 years ahead of you. So it's, it's a long period of time. But if you're up into your you know, mid 80s, okay, so your life expectancy is now 10 or 15 years. So then it's okay actually to go a little bit higher because you're still going to, I just want to make sure that you have enough no matter how long you live. So, and you know, my own warning is my grandmother died three years ago. She was 109. And you don't like people always say, what if I die young? And to me is, well, that's actually not what I worried about because if you die next year, it doesn't matter what we do, you have enough money, right? But what if you live unexpectedly long? And actually, a lot more people live unexpectedly long than you may think. You know, the percentage-wise, the fastest growing demographic in Canada is the over 100 age group, right? So it's a certain number of people like, so for a couple, you know, a couple age 65, typically about, I don't remember what the number is, it's between 10 and 20% of it, one of them makes it past 100. So it's not nearly as rare as you think. And if you're a couple planning, which is mostly what we're doing, you're planning for whichever one lives the longest, right? So which is typically longer than you may think. So even at age 65, 
50% of couples, one makes it to 94. And that's 50%. Like that's a 50% chance of running out of money, you know, if you plan for age 94. So you need to kind of plan longer than you may think. And if someone has a good lifestyle, I imagine that number will also get higher in the future too. If someone's in their, let's say, 30s, 40s, by the time they're at that higher age, the, the medical technology would have advanced even more so. I mean, there's so much money getting pumped into that now because of the boomers retiring and all that. There's a big market for it for these medical research companies. So for if someone's like me, where they're in their high 30s, I don't want to <laughs> give them high 30s already. But I mean, I imagine for us, the projections are, you have to be even more careful about, hey, you may actually live, the chances of you living to be in your hundreds are much higher just because of the technological developments that are going to keep happening for the next decades as you approach that old age. Yes. You know what? Because you know most people basically die. There's two basic killers that kill 80% of Canadians, and it's heart disease and, and cancer. But over time, we're learning how to deal with all these. Like, look, heart disease is trying to be a lot of its management. Cancer is is we're finding cures. So all it takes is a few good cures, and what happened is, you know, we could go up another 10 or 20 years. For sure. I read articles saying that you know people under 30 today, most of them will make it past 100. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because even if someone believes, oh, who knows if the level ever cure cancer, but it's not like it has to be a full cure either because it's things like early detection and dealing with it if it's detected early enough and the technology around that. So even though it might still exist for a long, long time, mm-hmm. there's still all these, like you said, things getting developed where even if you do end up getting it at some point, your survival rate is much higher because of the technology that that exists and it's going to keep getting better. So. Yeah, very, very interesting for sure. A lot of it is, you're right, it's treatment. It's not that it's cured, but you can live much longer after you, you know, like was today, most people that get cancer are still alive five years from now, mm-hmm. right? As you could live much longer, a lot of them become a management thing. Right. And new technologies are coming up all the time that along that line. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's slow from year to year, but over time, you can see that progress. Sure. So who knows what's going to happen? But all I'm saying is, when you have money, you want to be confident that you're going to have enough money. And what happens if you do live long? Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't want to be 95 and, oh, geez, I'm out of money. Now, what do I do? You're not going back to work. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. So, like, you don't want to get, then you don't want to have this financial stress later. And you want to have that confidence you're always going to be fine. So, the secret to that is to plan for it when you're younger. For sure. And now, a quick message from one of our sponsors. There are so many opinions on how to invest your money today, but it can be hard to find credible voices to rely on in the world of finance and investing. One resource that I turn to every week is the ETF Market Insights YouTube channel led by today's episode sponsor, BMO ETFs. Market Insights brings in industry experts and the weekly episodes cover the hottest themes like inflation, infrastructure, healthcare, and more. Tuning in helps me stay up to date on what's happening so I can be a smarter investor. And you can also submit your own ETF questions to be answered on the show. So do yourself a favor and subscribe on YouTube to ETF Market Insights or visit ETFMarketInsights.com so you can be notified when future episodes go live. And now back to the show. Have you ever used some type of variable withdrawal strategy? You mentioned using the 4% rule, but have you ever used a more variable withdrawal strategy? where the amount withdrawn every year to live off the portfolio varies depending on how the markets did that particular year. So in good times, you're withdrawing more. When the markets are not doing so well, you are withdrawing less. Do you ever employ... I know there's all types of different variable draw strategies. Do you ever utilize those? Not really. Maybe a few isolated cases. So here's what happened, Cornell. I helped a lot of people with, you know, with their cash flow and their lifestyle. And you know the truth is, People's lifestyle varies much less than you think. You know, if you see people get a drop in Mm. income, right? They get a laid off from their job, they get a new job with lower income, and they're bringing back twenty thousand. They're bringing in twenty thousand less income than than they were before. What you see a year later, yep, they have twenty thousand of debt because it's cutting back is actually is difficult. So people's lifestyle varies much less than what you think. That's partly why the economy can sometimes be relatively stable. Your stock market goes up and down a fair amount. The economy itself can be fairly stable because it's 70% consumer spending, which doesn't really vary very, very much at all. Like it's much of what you spend, you're going to spend regardless. So we've never actually looked at it that way. 
we have some clients, like in some cases, we take a few of the big items. The biggest one is usually travel. And sometimes it's buying cars or some of them are still doing renovations, but mostly it's those travel and cars. So that we would say, okay, you want to take a big trip? Let's defer that. So sometimes we have a couple big items like that. Travel is one that you can actually choose to change. Like we have a few retired clients traveling a lot. 40,000 a year is their travel budget. Hmm. Right. So, but if things get bad, it's not, that's the fairly easy one to just travel a bit less. You know what I mean? It's a fairly easy one to cut back. It's a lot harder to cut back, you know, groceries. <laughs> There's a lot of things that are actually pretty hard to cut back, but travel is a fairly easy one. So that's often where people will do a little bit of their adjusting of things, get a little bit out of whack. But we've never actually used a, a variable strategy like that. We're just kind of monitoring the rate and we're just, every year we're kind of talking to our clients about what are your plans this year and what's coming up in the next couple of years, just so we know where we stand. So the one thing is just a couple of clients that are on. So there's an investment, guys, the type of mutual funds have a thing called a T8 or a T6. So it's a T-SWIP fund where they pay out a fixed percentage. And so the investments themselves automatically adjust to how much you get. So for example, a T8 will take whatever your balance is January 1st uh, times 8% divided by 12, that's what you get. So if the investments are down, the next year you get a bit less. And if they're up, then the next year you get a little bit more. So it automatically adjusts. So we have a handful of clients that are on something like that. From our perspective, it actually adjusts itself. So it actually takes less monitoring from our point of view because the investments will automatically adjust a little bit. And it's not a huge range, right? It's not going to cut you in half. You know, variable withdrawal strategies, one of the problems is what do you do when the investments are down? Like you're not going to spend 25% less. You're not going to stop spending. Right. It's just within a range. So we have the odd client in something, but pretty well everybody is. We're just monitoring their withdrawal rate. Because mm-hmm. the one thing that I personally found appealing to that variable withdrawal strategy is that when you look at some of the numbers for the 4% rule, which is would be a more fixed withdrawal strategy, is that in a lot of cases, if you had a reasonable, you know, not a horrible sequence of returns, just like an average sequence of returns, you actually end up with more money then you start off with because the whole 4% rule, the studies there were all about, okay, how do we not run out of money? But in a lot of cases, you end up with more or a lot, you know, like basically you could have spent a lot more. And so if someone's trying to avoid that scenario where they are, let's say 85 years old, 90 years old, and they've got $5 million inflation adjusted, you know, sitting in their bank, then they, one may start to feel some regret where, okay, I wish I spent that money earlier when I was younger and healthier on my grandkids or you know to go on trips with them or whatever, that can be a point of regret I can see. So how do you prevent that with your clients if you go with this fixed withdrawal strategy? How do you prevent that problem from creeping up? Yeah. Where we see that is when the withdrawal rate gets too low. Like, you know, especially some of these people in the fire community are pretty frugal, right? So and we've got some cool growth strategies and they build up quite a bit and they're still frugal after they retire. And what you find is the amount that they're withdrawing is only one and a half percent of their investments every year. Well, their investments are just going to keep growing at this point over time, right? And the one and a half is now declining. So then it's at that point, okay, well, then it's a matter of getting, helping them think through their life. Okay. So here's what's going to happen. If you do nothing, you're going to live on your lifestyle and your investments are going to grow and grow and grow. And you're going to, kids are going to get 30 million when you die, right? Like it's good. It grows exponentially, right? So is that what you think a good life would be? You know, like they think, well, actually, no, that's not ideal. They get a huge amount later on and then they never have to work, right? And meanwhile, I'm living this way in between. So it's a matter of helping them think through. Now, what do you want to do with this money? Do you want to give it to your kids sooner? Do you want to enjoy life more? Like what would make life more fun or more meaningful. You can always spend more money, right? So a lot of them, I think once you're frugal, you never want to waste money. But which I'm look, you have this money. You know, you've only got so many years left. Let's do something that's what I did. This ain't no dress rehearsal, right? This is life. Like what do you want to do that's fun or meaningful? Or you could get into donations. I guess I may I may actually do some articles on donation strategies. And so I find some people with a fair amount of money want to make a difference in the world. So how do you do that effectively? And so if you have all this money, what do you actually want to do with it? You're right. That's where if your withdrawal rate is really low and declining, then it's you got to kind of think through your life. What do you actually want to do with your, with, your, with your money? At what point would you say 
that a flag should be raised in terms <clears throat> of, look, you're on a path now where, I mean, this is obviously a good problem to have, but where you're spending too little, your portfolio is going to keep growing at this rate. You need to either like up your lifestyle or start donating more or something because you're headed in this direction where you're going to end up with way too much money and you're better off utilizing it now, whether it's charity or grandkids or whatever the case may be. Because you mentioned on the flip side of, okay, the 5%, the 6% and how to think about that. What is it on the flip side where, okay, look, you got to loosen the purse strings a little bit, basically. Yeah. So the answer to that is different based on depending on your asset allocation, like how your investments are going to do. If you're a growth or, you know, investor like most of our clients and you're, you know, most pretty well all equities, then so 4%, if you're under three, so if you're down to two and a half percent withdrawal rate, then you realize, okay, this is start gonna, really going to start growing over time. So let's start thinking about it. Maybe and it's different if maybe last year was a down year, so it's a bit low, but then it'll go back to normal. But if it's, you know, down that low, if you're more conservative investor, that would be lower. So, you know, the 4% rule is we use it because most of our clients are growth oriented and with a high equity percentage. Even after you retire, when you see the stats, how it works, it works to stay all equities or very high equities all the way through your life. Because, you know, it's really interesting when you look at a financial plan, you know, you're retiring at 30 years old, you're saving up till you're 60 or whatever, then you're retiring, your money is living till 100 or whatever it is. Over that period of time, 70% of the money that you retire on is growth after you retire. So most of your retirement income is growth after you retire. So it's important to keep investing for growth. So is that, just, is that our, just because at that time, that's when your portfolio is actually the largest large. it's ever been? And so like a 10% move in the markets, growth is all of a sudden massive because you have like a million plus dollar portfolio. Is that why? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, starting out, you've got 20,000 in there and you know you make 10%, so that's 2,000, right? But you're retired, you have 2 million bucks, 10% is right, is 200,000. So it's the growth you're making at the after you retire that's a huge part of the whole thing. So it's important to really still make some good growth at that point. So what was the point I was making about that? So yeah, so most of our clients are actually still investing for growth. But you know, some conservative clients where they want to have less. So the actual rule that we use, so it's 4% is for the growth-oriented high equity people. But the overall rule, I have one, it's a less catchy name, but I call it the 2.5% plus 0.2 for every 10% in equities rule. So you, you've point, got a really good article on your site about that, I recall, yes. uh, where you explain so, it. And yeah. So 2.5% plus 0.2 for every 10% in equities. So if you're 50% in equities, 0.2 times 50 times five is would be 10. So then you go from two and a half to three and a half. So if you're a balanced investor, it should not be a 4% rule. It should be three and a half. And if you're a GIC or very just a fixed income investor, it should be a 2.5% rule. That's really all you can maintain over a whole retirement. So then like if you're a fixed income investor, it's 2.5%. So if you're at that level as an equity investor, I'm already saying, you know what, you could think, start thinking about what else you want to do with your money. But if you're a fixed income investor at 2.5%, no, that's all. You need all that. So, But then if you get, say, below 2 or you know 1.5% down to that level, then that's when we would have that discussion. So if somebody's just to recap what you were saying earlier, if someone's withdrawing under four percent, like you know, so between three and let's say three point nine, <laughs> at that point you would say, would that be kind of a close enough scenario? But if you're under three, then it's okay. You really need to rethink your spending, like your donations or your spending or anything. Is that kind of general thought process you go through? Yeah, like if you're targeting four percent, just with investment fluctuation and maybe yep. some minor things that happen in your life. You're going to kind of wander between three and five just normally. Okay, understood. Right. So most of the time, we're not making any significant change or recommending anything if you're just kind of in that range. Okay. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, yeah. That coincides with what you said earlier. So yeah, the, the three to five is sort of the day-to-day area that we're playing with. But like you said earlier, if it's now getting the six, then you've got to reevaluate your spending in terms of spending too much because it's stopping becoming sustainable. And if it's on the other side, below the three, then now, okay, it's the other situation where, okay, you've got to reevaluate spending again. This time in a good way, you get to spend or donate more, but nevertheless, it's something you don't just want to keep doing indefinitely because you're going to end up, you're going to be that wealthiest person in the retirement home and you're going to wish you spend that money on you know charity or, or whatever, right? Yes, exactly. It's funny, when we were young, we used to think, 
life is a game and whoever dies with the most money wins. Like we used to play a lot of video games and board games, right? <laughs> when you get older, you realize that's kind of stupid, right? Why am I going to die with a lot of money? I want to enjoy my money right? or do something meaningful with it. So yeah, you start to value experiences over just a number, yeah. especially now, right? Everything's digital. So it's just a number on <clears throat> when you log into your brokerage account. <laughs> you see that with a lot of billionaires now, right? Because they have this uh, giving pledge where they're pledging to give away more than half their money to charity. And some like Warren Buffett is giving away 99% of his wealth and Bill Gates and that. So they're giving away pretty well all their wealth. So it's not about making more money. It's actually about like, how do I make actually make a difference in the world here? Leave a, It's leaving a legacy. When you get older, you get start thinking about what kind of a legacy are you going to leave to the world? Mm -hmm. Yeah, your, your strategy or your approach to all this is really fascinating because, correct me if I'm wrong here, but to me, it almost sounds like a bit of a hybrid between just the traditional strict fixed 4% rule and the variable strategy. It sounds like your starting point is a fixed 4% rule you know, strategy. However, again, depending on the client, but then if things go too much in one way or the other in terms of you're spending way more than 4% or you're spending like under three, like you said, then it is time for adjustments. So at that point, it's like you start with the 4% because like you mentioned mm -hmm. your point about stability and how that's realistically, we do want that stability in terms of how much can I withdraw from my portfolio sustainably, but you're also not just closing the door and never reevaluating it ever again and just doing that blindly until you die. Instead, you're keeping an open eye and always monitoring what did we actually take out relative to that 4% target and then if it gets sort of past that, like you said, the three to six range, or sorry, three to five, then it's time to actually reevaluate the spending. And so you are actually adjusting at that point. Would that be yeah. fair to say? Yes, you have to keep monitoring it because it's not just where you start. So where we actually start is not with 4%. So for our own clients, we have a retirement goal. They've specified a certain lifestyle that they want. So when they retire, we start with that lifestyle. But we're only telling them you're ready to retire if that lifestyle is a reasonable rate. So we're not starting at four. We're just starting with their desired lifestyle, which, you know, hopefully is starting between three and five is starting at a reasonable number. And then, you know, we'll just take it from there. But then, yeah, you do have to monitor it. You know, sometimes if you think you're getting out of whack, really a simple way to do it is just don't increase it by inflation for a few years. You know, that alone over a few years, you should find it coming down a little bit. So it's just all techniques to manage this withdrawal rate over time. You do have to monitor it. And now a quick message from one of our sponsors. All right, I want to give a big shout out to Passive for sponsoring this episode. They are free to use and are literally the number one tool that I consistently use to manage all my investments. If you've been investing for any period of time, you know how important rebalancing your portfolio is as that's what allows you to consistently buy low and sell high with your investments as well as ensure that you aren't taking on any additional unnecessary risk. Now, as critical as rebalancing your portfolio is, it's actually a manual and annoying labor-intensive process as to do it correctly, you have to log into each of your household's investment accounts and do manual data entry on a spreadsheet to figure out how much to buy of each investment every single time that you have money to invest. And there's always the chance that you make a mistake and miscalculate something when doing it yourself on a spreadsheet. So these days, when I have money to invest, I simply log into Passive, I immediately see what I'm holding too much and too little of in my portfolio, and Passive automatically calculates how much I need to buy of each ETF to get me back to my target across all of my household's accounts. Then in a couple clicks, I can have Passive buy the investments that I'm holding too little of across all my and my wife's accounts without me having to log in and out of each account to manually do the trades myself. I'm also able to see how my entire household's investment portfolio is doing across all our accounts in just a mouse click instead of manually having to add everything up across all my accounts. So they have a free account that you can use to try them out. And if you are a Quest Trade user like me, you also get their premium account for free. So it's a complete no-brainer. And I've personally been using them for years at this point. So I can definitely vouch for them as they have literally become my number one favorite tool for managing my investments. They saved me many any dozens of hours when I'm managing and optimizing my portfolio. So definitely check them out. They are a fantastic Canadian company and you can get your free account by going to buildwealthcanada.com 
buildwealthcanada.ca slash free. Again, that's buildwealthcanada.ca slash free. And now back to the show. Now, with this three to five percent range, would you use different numbers for the fire crowd? So the you know financial dependents retire early, people that retired in their 20s, well, realistically like 30s, 40s, let's say, would you change the number, that range for people in that group since the money now has to last them longer? Not really, because it's, you know, this, you know, based on my own study, it's lasted over the long term with that kind of withdrawal rate. So if you're not planning for 30 years, you're planning for 70 years of retirement. It's, you know, like what worked for 30 will likely work for 70 as well. And get, remember, after you retire, it's still always monitoring that withdrawal rate all the way through. So yeah, but the fire communities actually, I find them really interesting because, you know, up until the last few years, like pretty well every retire, everybody retired in their 60s or late 50s, and it was difficult to retire a bit earlier. And now all of a sudden, we've helped a few people, believe it or not, retire like at 40 or before 40. It's more often more of them in their 40s before they turn 50. And, you know, these things are possible, but it's a question of what's the lifestyle you choose and, and what are you willing to do to get there, right? It's they don't happen on your own. You have to make a plan and decide I'm going to do this. Right. And you can get there earlier if you want. But it's there actually a lot of I find it really like we've got a team of financial planners. We like doing creative plans. So the very unique ones are actually more fun to do. But it's still the same essential process. Gotcha. And is the reason that range of that three to six, you would say, would still be the same for an early retiree as a traditional retiree? Is that because the 4% rule is conservative to begin with? So kind of like what I was we were mentioning before, it was sort of created in terms of you know, not running out of money. And so because it's the whole objective of that was that, it's already conservative to begin with. And so that's why three to 5% wouldn't really change for an early retiree. Was my logic there correct, or what are your thoughts? It's somewhat conservative because it's funny because when you're looking whether this works, so this 4% rule has worked 97% of the time in the last 150 years for people that are 100% equities. Okay. So it's worked most of the time, but the focus is on those you know few times it didn't. So now the truth is, most of the time when you're following this, you die with three times what you started off with. So it is somewhat conservative because. 4%, remember, it only works for equity investors, not for more conservative investors. But if it's four and you know you add 3% inflation, that's seven. But you know, the stock markets over time do make more than that pretty well all the time over you know 25-year periods. So that's why it is somewhat conservative. You it's targeted to be some of the worst times. So now the worst 25-year average of the SP 500, the last 150 years was, or sorry, actually the modern stock market since like 30s was 8% a year. So we're planning for a lower long-term return, like a bad 25-year period. We're not planning for the average 25-year period because then half the time is less than that. So it's intentionally somewhat conservative because you want to be able to make it work, right? So it's it's not 97% of the time you do really well, you end up with way more money. 3% of the time you run out. And that's the focus because you're worried about those three. What about those few times where things didn't work? Mm-hmm. You know, so. Gotcha. Just to reiterate your point, so for the fire crowd at three to five percent range, still appropriate in your opinion. However, you do need to be monitoring it and making sure that you don't all of a sudden you're creeping up to six percent or more and not doing anything about it and just keeping your spending the same all the time. That's where you get can get into some pretty hot water. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, like if it starts getting high, then it starts just you still keep spending the same amount and still increasing it by inflation. And what happens is and you don't do anything about it, it can start to spiral out. Once it gets mm-hmm. past five to six, they're also aspiring to seven, eight, nine, and it's just spiraling out. Mm-hmm. And if you've got, you know, 10 years left to live, then that's not such a big thing. But if you get 60 or 70 years left, the spiraling is going to be a real problem down the road. Right. So it's more important not to get out of control early. You got to stay in control of it. Right. Just because that money's got to last you longer. So yeah, like it's less of a concern if you think you're only going to live for five more years. And then okay, maybe I'll just really cut back a little bit later. But got- five more years, even if you're taking ten percent a year out, you're going to be fine, mm-hmm. right? But if you had sixty years left, because you're forty, you want to live to a, you got sixty years left, yeah, right. And let's say you're over six percent withdrawal rate already. This could start to spiral out of control. You got sixty years left, so then it's actually you know then it's a worry, right? Gotcha. Yeah, that so, makes sense. 
You see, that, it, it is a bit of an art. It's not hard and fast numbers. It's a matter of you got to look at each person. And I, we do find some clients can fairly easily cut back and some just the spending is constantly an issue. So we have a target, but quite often they're spending more than that target. And and so it's you got to kind of look at each person differently and what's going to work for each in each case. Gotcha. Makes sense. And you've been sharing a lot of advice. So this is fascinating, by the way. It's nice to hear your approach and how you actually do this with clients, especially because it's different than because some people are just like, okay, all in 4% rule, that's it, right? And as you look into the negatives, you realize you can't just follow that blindly no matter what's happening. And then so I really, your approach, I found really fascinating. Just for anybody that wants to see more of your writing, you have a YouTube channel now as well that you publish some really good videos on. Can you tell us a little bit more about different resources? Just, I want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about your site and what you offer for anybody listening. Right. Okay. So my blog is called uh, Unconventional Wisdom. It's just edremple.com. It's also unconventionalwisdom.ca, not .com, because we're in Canada. Couldn't get the .com. <laughs> but it's some scam site. So I was hesitant to pe- tell people Unconventional Wisdom because you make sure it's CA. But just use edremple.com. That's my blog. And all my videos and articles are on there. And if you subscribe, all that happens is you get them sent to your email each week. I try to do one every Thursday. And mostly, I've been doing mostly videos lately. And so they're all on my YouTube channel, which is Ed Rempel one. It's still, you can just search me on YouTube and you'll find it there. And so that's kind of where all my videos are. And that's the best place to be able to follow my recommendations and my ideas. I'm always trying to think of new things. So if there's topics that anybody wants me to talk about, feel free to tell me what your topic is. And actually, if you have questions, you can ask questions on the blog or on the YouTube channel. You can ask questions there. I'm often, usually a few weeks behind, like I'm answering questions. But I do answer all questions eventually. So if you have questions, you can post them on there. And uh, it's actually nice to get a discussion going on a topic afterwards. Awesome. And like you said, you've got a lot of resources. You've got the website. You've got a lot of articles there, a lot of research. You've got the YouTube channel now too. A lot of how-tos, how people can learn about creating a financial plan and how to think of all this. Why is it, do you feel it's important to also work one-on-one with a financial planner like yourself, for example, instead of just going all in on doing it yourself, and that's it. I think a big thing is a financial planner can, at least the right financial planner can make a big difference. Like a lot of it, just having confidence. You want to know it's some of it is just, you know, insurance against you screwing, but it's you want to have confidence that you're going to be able to, you know, have the life that you want. And so for our clients, you've got that confidence that, you know, things are working out. We're looking at whatever you're doing. Nothing you do is, is going to be that dumb. If there was a problem, we would raise it for you. And there's often all kinds of ways you can optimize things. So, and all that all, you know, makes a really huge difference for it. The biggest thing that I find is people who are do-it-yourselfers rarely actually have a plan. And the plan is the really important part of it is what is your goal? How are you doing towards your goal? What do you have to do to achieve that goal? Are you getting there? You know, it's having a plan that makes and following that plan every year. It's easy to kind of wander off and forget about that. But yeah, so that's, I think it's basically it's confidence in yourself is the kind of the biggest thing that you get from working with a financial planner. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And when it comes to tax planning and making sure that we're paying the least amount of tax when living off the investment, are there any strategies or approaches that you'd recommend? Yeah. So there's a lot of things involved in tax planning after you retire. So I've written a few articles or videos on specific topics, you know, a deep dive into specific topics, like should you take CPP and OAS early or delay it? And, you know, the 4% rule, and we've got a GIS strategy. And so there's a few specific topics that we go in depth in, but part of it is you need like, what's the overall plan for your retirement, the tax plan? So actually, that's my intention is to do that video this weekend, actually. And it's kind of looking at the overall without going in depth in any topic, but just looking at the overall. So when you retire, there's two basic strategies. Well, there's three, but basically two. So the two is, one is, are you planning to defer tax as long as possible? Or are you planning to withdraw what you can at the lowest tax bracket or or tax brackets? So those are the kind of the two main strategies. And then depending on your situation, one of those will work better for some people. One will work better for most. So more often than not, probably three quarters of the time or 75, 80% of the time, the the, uh, withdrawing at the low tax bracket is the most beneficial. But you have to kind of look at those strategies. So if you try to withdraw the lowest 
tax bracket. For example, lowest tax brackets are now up to 53,000 for next year. So if you're a couple, that's 53,000 each. That's 106,000 taxable income. And your cash in can be higher because even though, because the 106 is all taxed at the lowest 20% bracket. And your cash in can be higher because on top of that, you have the non-taxed and low-taxed income, like TFSA and non-registered investments and your cash income. So we've got clients living on 150,000 a year. It's all at the lowest 20% bracket, right? And if you're living on 250,000, you could probably do it all at the 30% bracket. So you're never getting into the higher brackets. In some cases, we find people are going to get pushed into the higher brackets. If, and then you got to kind of look at it, at it a little bit differently. So now in some cases, we're trying to defer as much as possible. So it's always better to pay tax down the road. So defer as much as possible. You can do the opposite. You're going to start with your TFSA, right? And you use it up in your non-registered. And so you try to use all or most, of, probably want to keep a bit of it, but use those up first and defer all the tax. And now that could push you into a higher tax bracket later on. You're saving tax early. And that's basically that extra money can stay invested for a longer period of time. So that works in you know 25% of the people, but you have to kind of look at each situation and see overall which strategy works. And once you've decided on that, then that helps a lot to figure out when you should start your RIF and when should you start your CPP and OAS. So this is a significant factor in all of these and you know all the different places you can withdraw from. So start with the higher taxable ones or the lower taxable, you know, or, or how do you do the mix? And it's the overall strategy is what kind of you start with that, and then it's easier to fill in the pieces. Mm-hmm. Why would someone want to defer tax as long as possible, even if that means? that they will eventually end up in a higher tax bracket. Yeah, if it's not too much of a higher tax bracket, the first few years when you retire, let's say you've got enough so you can do it for 10, 15 years and basically pay zero tax or almost nothing in tax. Then instead of paying you know, five, 10,000 a year of tax, you've got an extra 10,000 a year that you're building up. All right. So again, most of the time it doesn't work, but a reasonable amount of time it actually does work. You're always paying tax later on versus now. And part of it is, so here's how to think of it. Like, if you're thinking of, I'm in a low tax bracket now, I'm going to be in a higher tax bracket later, but to more than that. So a fairly simple way to look at this is the estate. So some people are worried that, so you know what, I have enough income when I die, a lot of it's going to be in the highest tax bracket, right? So a lot of my income is going to be in a 54% tax bracket when I die. So and right now I'm only in a 20% bracket, so maybe I should take more now so I don't get into a 54% bracket later on. But usually the, you know, the, when you die is 20% tax, so 20,000 tax, I'm going to pay, put a number on, 54,000 tax in 25 years. But that 20,000, so if you just work out 10% a year, after I think it's about 11 or 13 years, it would grow to like 50,000. It would grow to that amount of money over enough years. So if, if you're deferring over enough years, it's better to pay 20% tax now. You don't have to worry about being pushed into the high bracket later on because it's better to save the money right now. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter that you're going to get pushed into that higher bracket because you've got that money that's going to grow over that period of time. And it needs a fairly reasonably long runway of growth you know, to be able to, to make it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the thought process is, you know, if we defer, how long are we going to be able to defer? <laughs> And then how high of a tax bracket is it going to get, you know, and after how many years? And that's when you can kind of think through, is it which strategy, overall strategy is better to, to use? Gotcha. All right. Awesome, Ed. Well, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your expertise with us. Can you tell us one more time, just to recap, where we can see more of your work, where we can see your videos, and where can we learn more about your practice for anybody interested? Yeah. So again, my blog is edremble.com. It's the number one blog in Canada for a full-service financial planner. So, and it's actually unconventional wisdom. So it's based on, you know, my many years of experience. So all the other blogs, you get the conventional wisdom. And basically what you generally get from the investment industry, you get the conventional wisdom. So go read all the reg- other stuff, then come to our blog and find out what actually works. And it's in a lot of cases, it's very different from the conventional. So it's the blog is edremble.com and the YouTube channel is edremble. Once again, just search my name under YouTube. And if you subscribe to both of them, then all that means is you get my videos and articles sent directly to your email every Thursday. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Great having you on as always. And I look forward to seeing the new YouTube videos on your channel. They're always really good. Thanks. They're fun to do.
Awesome. All right. Have a good one. Take care. Thank you. Bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please share it with someone that you think may find it useful. And of course, leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify is always super appreciated as well. I'd like to end with a big thanks to two of our sponsors who, apart from my investing course, literally keep the entire Build Wealth Canada podcast and website free for you. Our first sponsor is BMO ETFs. Do you know why asset allocation ETFs have become so popular? Asset allocation explains over 90% of the variation in a portfolio's quarterly returns. So it's no wonder Canadian investors are turning to these ETFs. Today's sponsor, BMO ETFs, offers these innovative all-in-one solutions with the BMO All Equity ETF, ZEQT, BMO Growth ETF, ZGRO, BMO Balanced ETF, ZBAL, BMO Conservative ETF, ZCON, and more. BMO developed these to help provide investors with ETFs that offer broad diversification, and they're also low-cost and simple to use. These ETFs invest in a number of underlying index-based ETFs and are rebalanced automatically back to your set asset allocation or mix of stocks and bonds. They offer a hands-free approach to investing that is built on disciplined weights to provide exposure to different geographies and sectors all in one solution. BMO actually offers eight asset allocation ETFs and you can learn more at bmoetfs.com. I'd also like to thank Passive, the investing tool that I use for my entire investment portfolio. You can get your free account in Passive over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash free. And you can see my portfolio and what ETFs I buy within Passive over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash portfolio. Passive is literally the number one tool that I consistently use to manage all my investments as it lets me immediately see what I'm holding too much and too little of in my portfolio and then automatically calculates how much I need to buy of each ETF to get me back to my target asset allocation across all my household's accounts. Then if I want, in a couple of clicks, I can have passive buy the investments that I'm holding too little of across all my and my wife's accounts without me having to log in and out of each account to manually do the trades myself. My other favorite feature is to be able to see the performance of my entire household's investment portfolio across all our accounts in just a mouse click instead of manually having to add everything up across all our accounts just to see how we're doing. They have a free account that you can use to try them out. And if you are a Questrade user like me, you can also get their premium account for free. So it's a complete no-brainer. And I've personally been using them for years at this point. So I can definitely vouch for them as they have literally become my number one favorite tool for managing my investments as they've saved me dozens of hours when managing and optimizing my investment portfolio. Definitely check them out. They are a fantastic Canadian company and you can get your free account by going to Build Wealth Canada dot ca slash free again that's build wealth canada dot ca slash free thanks for listening to the build wealth canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca 